1963, Dr. Benjamin Simon was a practicing neuropsychiatrist with an office in the Back Bay District of Boston. He was a well-recognized authority in the use of hypnotherapy to treat patients affected by maladies resulting from what we recognize now as post-traumatic stress disorder. Renowned for his work with World War II veterans, he had decades of experience and was, by all accounts, a dedicated medical professional. In December of that year, a couple came to him on a referral to try and address experiences of recurring nightmares and what seemed to be amnesia concerning a few hours of a trip they had taken two years prior. During their return to their home in New Hampshire, the couple had reported witnessing a UFO that seemed to approach and follow the vehicle. Dr. Simon's sessions with the husband and wife would bring to the surface terrifying memories seemingly locked away within their subconscious and provide the world with what is widely considered the first documented case of an alien abduction. This case file joined the theorists as they play a little Simon Says in a deep hypnotic dive into the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction case. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 183, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. I'm Brayden. <laughs> I'm Zell. I'm Dan. I'm Andrew, and I think we played the wrong intro, did we not? Maybe we did. I think we did. We think just we, did. we literally just talked about this. We did. Intro number two coming up. Start off this week a little different for Theorite of the Week. Jason Milbank with the epic new theme song. Woo! Holy shit. Unreal. Rips. You can thank Jason Milbank for your neck aches and concussions after that fucking no banger. No kidding. You know what? It's a little heavy for my liking. Well, he also so, uh, he, he, he made a second one that we might we'll, uh, we'll play Braden's soft rock intro from Jason Milbank at the end of the episode. Just uh, yeah, uh, just what him. a beauty that guy is. Uh, one of the Diabros uh, theater of the week, well earned. Um, I mean, we we've spoke on it. I don't know how many different times, but this is a, that's a perfect example of how much cooler our fans are than us. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, way more talented, way fucking cooler, like Dude, hands down. Jason Milbank played in the Warp Tour. He's a a million and times cooler than we shirt. are. Yeah. And wore our shirt. He's a thousand times cooler. The only reason he elevated our coolness by wearing our shirt <laughs> on stage. I'm pretty that's sure that's it. the only reason Spotify signed us. They saw yeah. they saw him wearing our shirt at fucking Warp Tour, and they're like, well, okay. Yeah. 
Mike, our manager Mike, was there rocking out. He's like, what's that on his shirt? I should look that up. If Jason Milbank from Census Fails wears the shirt from this random podcast, it must be okay. So <laughs> they must be legit. <laughs> um, so we all, all, our, all our success to that one Warp Tour performance. Uh, okay. Yeah, thanks, that thanks, Jason. Out. That's all. <laughs> all of our success is thanks to you <laughs> and that pivotal moment at the Warp Tour. Um, we're also as you're hearing this, while well, as we're recording, it's day five into the running ch- second annual uh, Alien Theorist exercising uh, running challenge. Um, whew, dude, a lot of good runners. A lot of people put up some big numbers this year early on. Yep. I mean, we have the. Uh, we knew Mr. Zeitgeist is going to be up there. He's number sitting at number one right now. But right on his heels is uh, Sodomize. It's going to be a battle to the end. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a battle. And me and Brayden are going to uh, be nowhere near the top ten. <laughs> oh, I, I'm still I'm still that's my goal. Top ten. I think yeah. I can do it. Yeah. If some pe- if people start falling off and not running every day and you keep chugging yeah. along steady, maybe. Yeah. It's um you know it's a it's a marathon not a sprint. We've got 25 more days. I I think I'm sitting at like 22nd with a, a cool 24.77. Brain had to do a quick sprint down the road before the podcast to beat me for the day. <laughs> it's true. It's true I did. Um now a quick pe- people keep asking, well can I log walks? Some people are logging walks. Um if you're running, if you're doing the running challenge as a challenge yourself to run, just log your runs. That's it. Push yourself. Try to log the runs. Um, if you're someone who can't run or you're too hurt to run, uh, as some of us are, go ahead and log your walks. If you're just a walker and you want to log walks to get out there and just participate, uh, log your walks. Um, but if, if you're sitting right now in the top 10 and you're logging some walks along with your runs, Suspect. come on, man, push yourself. Push yeah. yourself. <laughs> go all runs. Um, that's what the, that's what I'm doing. That's what, uh, Zell's doing. That's what Zeitgeist is doing. Um, but anyways, it's, it's always fun. The community is really active. It's, uh, been a good time so far. Um, earlier today, we posted a question to the theorites. Um, why are aliens abducting people? Why would they be interested in abducting people? And what are some thoughts? We had some good ones. Um, uh, one that stood out to me is, um, someone said they just want to know how far the human rectum goes. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the ocean, it seems to be <laughs> as deep as it can go, right? There's no limit. I don't, I don't think that's medically true. Why do they keep checking, Dan? Well, Why you, do they keep checking? They, they see guys like Steve-O from Jackass and they're like, what's going on here? Okay. <laughs> um, on a serious note, though, I like... I was definitely thinking, I, you know, I gave some thought to this today. And um, to me, it goes back to um, when we, when did we supposedly sign that treaty where, you know, aliens could potentially come and grab humans? I can't remember. Talking about that probably Serpo? like Eisen, as my, as Eisenhower. Eisenhower administration. Yeah. yeah. And he signed the agreement that we can, they can just scoop some people up as long as it's uh, non-invasive and i i purely think it's it's either for scientific reasons they're looking at our dna they just want to see what makes us ticks it's it's purely if we found a new species on earth we're for sure gonna you know collect it we look be a, at it we'd be a little be less more invasive yeah we'd be <laughs> a little less nice about it murder and kill populations before we figure out we probably shouldn't do it 
But I, I agree. And, I, I I think that's a that's pretty much what I've always thought too. If hum, if there's two things, either it's you know a nice version of ETs and they're coming here as just scientists observing, just checking our DNA, what how, what makes us tick, or the malicious version where they're picking us up, looking for weaknesses to develop some type of super virus and uh, take over this planet. One of the two. I'd have to disagree. What do you think? I think you guys are making it way more fancy than it is. I think we're plagued by intergalactic sex offenders. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's making a medical. They're coming down here. You're getting roofied and they fucking pick you up. You don't remember anything. And then you send you back and your butt hurts. That is like these. You just got inter, You got intergalactic creepers just floating around, picking you up and doing what they want with you and just fucking dropping you off. Yeah, sure. I agree. I agree with Andrew because uh, Earth technically like our solar system's out in the boonies. We're probably out in the in, in terms of like Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> dee 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 dee. Yeah, so they can come out here and do whatever they want. We're in, we're on the no outer realm. <laughs> we're outside of we're outside of the purview of the uh, Listen, Galactic Federation or whatever. It's so it's so perfect because they have us some of us wanting it. Some of us want to get fucking abducted or have encounters and stuff like that. Like, come on, I will pay you to abduct me. <laughs> no, just. International or intergalactic diddlers is coming around, picking people up and doing what they want with you. Well, and that's to say that, you know, some people that get picked up aren't willing participants because uh, the case file we're going to talk to tonight will kind of circle back to that, your point. Um, but we're, there's a, there's an interesting part in that case where I, you know, I thought about that. Um, but we're talking tonight uh, about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which is probably the first, the first the OG man, OG, mm-hmm. a, a OG alien abduction case. It brought it to the mainstream. Uh, it was the first one. It, yeah. It was the, it was the first real case of alien abduction or first real popular, popularized case, case of alien abduction, like UFO sightings and things had, had been an, an issue or those had been, you know, those concerns had been raised since like the forties and fifties. Like, 1962 i think it's probably like 1962 the event occurred in 1961 like the event okay but this is what really cemented the idea of these extraterrestrials coming down and not just you know buzzing planes and flying through the skies but actually picking people up off the ground and interacting with humans on some level well i mean even the even the government has like a official like marker at the site like um oh it's one of those like yeah it's one of those heritage things like we have those like in virginia we have these i know other people like in the states like we have them all over the u.s but like in the virginia we have a bunch of those like it's you can look it up the betty and barney hill like heritage marker or whatever uh it's a large like metal sign and it marks the spot where they allege that they had been abducted and we have we have ones that look like that in virginia except they mark uh sites of civil war battles <laughs> <laughs> right so it's like this one this case like obviously made waves back in the day and i think it partly is because of betty and barney hill themselves and who they were and like how active they were in the community like they like it's it's an interesting case i mean let's get into it So, uh, like I mentioned before, the story of Betty and Barney Hill begins in September of 1961 in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill had been married uh, at this point. Uh, They were um, 
It's like they were an interracial couple. So Barney was an African-American and this was kind of uncommon at the time. Uh, that yeah. he was just sixties, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Progressive. That's groundbreaking. Couple, if, you want, that's... if you want to put it that way. Uh, they had just, uh, re- they were returning from a honeymoon. They're kind of belated honeymoon trip to Montreal. Uh, at this time, Barney was 39 years old and he worked for the U S postal service. And Betty was a 41 year old, uh, a master's degree holder and was a supervisor for the child welfare department in the city that she lived. Yeah. Neither rain nor snow snow nor sleet nor dark Snower. of night shall stay these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. <laughs> now everybody knows what Braden does for a living. Mailman. So on, perfect. Yeah. On their return trip, uh, they reached an area of the New Hampshire uh, known as Indian Head. And it's named that because it is this rock formation that some way resembles the profile of a Native American. And that's what people see. Yeah. And so at this point, they had been driving. It was late at night. Uh, they had stopped before this actually at a diner. I think they, they had like, they had eaten something, had some coffee and they were going to drive through the night to get home. That was the plan. Now, I just want to make a quick connection here. The last good UFO case we talked about a couple of months ago, right? Oh no. Uh, they also stopped at a diner before having a UFO encounter. What's in the diner? What's in diner coffee is what I want to know. Right. Is this. It's are we talking, stuff. maybe is this some, this, is this, are we going to go back to food poisoning? This is some hallucinogenic diner, I don't, diner did, food. Did anybody lose their hair in this uh, case file? Just <laughs> out of curiosity. In quick, <laughs> quick, rapid succession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so at this point, as they're driving down the road or after the diner stuff, they're driving down and Betty begins to notice a, or she takes notice of an object in the sky, moving through the night sky. And she notices that it starts kind of making these irregular movements. Like it's a little bit brighter than a star. It's moving. And she doesn't, she's not exactly sure what it is. Now her father had originally, um, he was also kind of interested like an amateur astronomer. I believe he owned a telescope and kind of had a, like a passing interest in the sky. Like he had, um, he before kept his this, eyes on the skies. Oh, right, kept his eyes on the skies. Real he was OG. excited about, they had discussed about this, you know, the launch of Sputnik and satellites and that whole thing. But, you know, so she was kind of uh, familiar with aerial phenomena that you could be like, oh, like maybe it's a passing satellite. Maybe it's something like that. But this thing started moving in a way that shouldn't be moving. Yeah. It looked intelligent almost like it was almost like it was following them. Right. And so they actually, you know, she, she, she keeps telling Barney at this point, she's like, I, you know, she was telling him kind of to stop the car, look at this thing, look at it. You know, Barney was trying to drive the car because you're like, I, I don't care who you are, even if your wife is saying, like, look up at the sky, like, no, I'm driving the no car. Stops. I'm not gonna, I'm not <laughs> no gonna look stops. At the sky. I don't care if you have to pee. We're not fucking stopping. Yeah. Right. I was like, so, um, but he actually gets him to stop the car. And there's no way, at- there's no way she even said anything. She just went, ha, 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 and scared him while he was driving. That's what happened. 100%. <laughs> ha, it jumped. I'm, I'm pretty sure she was pretty vocal about her her sighting this craft and got him to stop. And so he pulled well, out he a pair of He thought it was a plane. Like he looked at it at first too. And he's like, that's a plane. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. 
So fucking he ca- plane. Yeah, when he commented on it later, he th- he had his initial thoughts with this. This was a plane that this was some type of aircraft. I think it, a type of a uh, what was the name? Something Piper type of type of plane. That is what he thought originally. But when he got the binoculars out of the car and they stopped and they actually looked at it, he he saw these what he observed were multicolored lights. Uh, he described rows of windows windows on this flattened object uh, that actually seemed to be moving towards their vehicle from in the sky. So as this object got within a hundred feet of their vehicle, he describes that he could actually see occupants inside this vehicle. So I'm like, so to paint the picture, I like in my head, what I thought is the light coming out of the windows is so bright that it's lighting up silhouettes of people either moving and looking out people or beings or something, whatever's in this thing. I think if you look deep enough on on the internet, you actually, they might've actually had a barbecue. And this is very. This craft is very similar to Joe to yeah. Simonton's pancakes in UFO encounter at this point. Well, the whole craft looks like one of his pancakes. Yeah, <laughs> they saucy. even describe it as a were pancake they, shape. Were they playing Herbie Hancock as well? Did you hear? Were they close enough for that? Wasn't quite close enough for that, but maybe in the hip, okay. in the later in the case, uh, we'll get to something. So Barney at this point remembers, like visibly, or he consciously remembers that he was perturbed at this point not not quite sure what this thing is but he feels like they need to get going so they got back into the car uh and and he floored it like took off. i don't know what it is but i don't like it <laughs> that's enough sightseeing get in the car <laughs> yeah we're going home so now from their conscious memory they don't really remember seeing this craft again but they do recall hearing some type of like a beeping sound and then they hear the same beeping sound a second time and then after that second beeping sound which is similar to the first all they remember is is this kind of feeling of they said it's kind of like a feeling of of happiness or serenity a kind of uh they felt quite you know plate like plate complacent and and where they were and kind of smiling at each other and then but they also now realize that the sun is coming up over the horizon and that shouldn't be happening because they were anticipating arriving home well before sunrise. Interesting. I wonder, like, you think maybe that beeping could have been some type, like an example, only example I can think of is some type of like, you know, like infrasound and the effect it has on people. Like, do you think that beeping could have been some type of way of sedating them or? Right. What I thought initially, what I thought, and I mean, this is kind of going with what I know later on in the case, is that I had assumed that maybe they'd never heard the beeping in the in the in the car, but when they like their spoiler alert, they were taken. Uh, I think the beeping noise is background noise when they're taken aboard the craft, and when they're in like when they're put back in this like sense of like daydreaming in their car they just like that's the mental the beeping is what stuck from actually being abducted right so the beeping they heard a beep and then when they heard the beep again when they came to they're 35 miles down the road but right. it's it, but sun's yeah. sun's coming up mm-hmm. but yeah so, so, so what was the time they're like the missing damn time i feel then? good you feel good i they feel had, good they had a nice time gap then so 35 yeah. miles how how long ago how long was the time gap did they feel? so 
when they originally got home, the very first thing, well, they went to bed. They felt like they should just go to bed. I think Barney believed he felt the kind of urge to to take a shower after the long drive or something like that. Um, but well, they had, that's well, not all he felt the urge to do. <laughs> he also felt the urge to check out his genitalia for some reason. Right. Uh, and Who give doesn't? that a good wash and give it a good inspection. As you do. As, so they as also, you do from a yeah. road trip. Yes, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, right. You know, it's been sitting there stuck to the, you know, the car. <laughs> He's got leather. He's got leather there. seats, yeah. man. Moving around, yeah, yeah. Hot vinyl seats. It's swampy mess down there. No AC, like oh, oh man. Wait, yeah, we're well before AC here. Yeah, man. No thanks. And also, soon after they got home, Barney proposed to uh, Betty that they should go into separate rooms and draw the craft from memory that they both saw. So they tried to draw this craft, and when they did that, and they compared their their drawings. They look remarkably similar, according according to the hills. So this this type of like we described it like a pancake craft with like windows along the side. Um, I know Betty described it as at first when she saw it, it looked like a type of cigar, but that you know that that's the way the craft would look like if it were just you know if you're looking at it straight From on, straight on. Yeah. yeah. Now, eventually, Betty and Barney, um, like they go on. They don't recall any abduction at this point. Yeah, but uh, they do recall like a bunch of weird shit, right? Like their their watches would never work again, right? Barney was saying that like the leather strap to his binoculars had been ripped. He didn't remember anything happening to it. Um, his best his best dress shoes were all scraped up. Yeah, which didn't <laughs> like make any the, sense to him. On, on the top of the dress shoes, like the where like imagine where you like lace them up, and the toes and stuff are all scuffed and scratched to hell. And uh, Betty's dress was torn at the hem, zipper and lining, and she noted this like pink powder on the dress that she had fucking no idea where it came from. Right. And so approximately, according to Betty, she estimated about 10 days after their returning home from their trip, she started experiencing these nightmare dreams uh, of her and Barney being taken aboard some type of craft against her will. And... You know, within weeks of her doing this, you had um, you had her going in and and actually interviewing with some writers who to this day apparently remain anonymous, um, trying to put together a story of the night and going through some of these interviews, uh, not only with these writers, but eventually they would uh, contact people in the military base so they contacted at least uh one person from the was it the pierce air force base pierce, uh, yeah. She got in con- yeah yeah didn't there her sis apparently she contacted her sister and her sister put her in contact with the person at the pierce air force base because apparently betty's sister had her own encounter in 1957 right she had um, also described seeing some type of like cigar craft in the past and so she had uh, kind of stoked an interest in UFOs. So they kind of had that. And then she kind of told her where to go. So um, she wrote a letter to Major Donald Keough, who passed her information on to Walter Webb, um, who was on staff at the Hayden Planetarium. And Webb at that time was actually a scientific advisor to the National Investigations Committee for Aerial Phenomena, or NICAP, which is kind of like one of the precursors to MUFON. Right. Uh, now, just, just hold that. on a second, because I, I, I read something, too, that didn't, what when, when she went to, like, the Peace Air Force Base, or Peace Air Force Base. Right, Peace. Isn't that where they told her that, uh, uh, what's his name, Henderson, 
who's like the the commander or whatever at the base, confirmed that they had something on radar. Yeah, they were. T- I'm not as, 100% as goes sure. goes the story. What, yeah, least. there there is part of the story where they told her that they had had something on radar at approximately the same time that they may have sighted this craft. So yes. that there was something out there. But at this point, at this point, they still didn't 100% know about this abduction thing. I don't think they no. really didn't tell them about the no, abduction. No, but that, but that being confirmed that, that like the, like this air force base had something on radar kind of, kind of like confirmed that something was yeah, a little weird. That came out quite a bit after though. Like there, and there was nothing really to corroborate it. No, I'm not saying that as part it's of just, the lore of the story, this is where like right, the oh, lore yeah. takes it. Like, okay. They claim that there was a, radar and that's what led betty down like okay there must have been something more to this case and then yeah then then we continue on so now having these dreams like these the these nightmarish dreams that they she experienced and that these were you know persisting like night to night kind of felt like betty felt like these are something that had to do with their experience and they also through these like multiple interviews that they had uh with military officials and and writers and things like this they had uh accounted for pretty much this two-hour gap in their trip where they her and barney kind of didn't remember anything like they're like trying to remember the two hours from that trip it was just kind of like this you know before um, it was just kind of a messy blur. They were just, they couldn't remember like where they had kind of driven through or, uh, kind of what exactly what route they had taken. It was just, it was just kind of a gap and empty in their memories in their conscious memories. Now I know a, like a, when you look into this case, a lot of things you read about that is people are, people are quick to go like, well, I never remember my drive to work. And it's like, it, that's a little different to when like, if you've drove to work and you're like, I know something happened to me, but I can't remember what. And I'm being affected by whatever happened, but I don't remember. Well, yeah, not even not even just that. You also like that accompanied with you seeing a craft in the sky. You could have swore it was a craft in the sky, and then the missing time and all of that. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> it's yeah. a little different than just like because like a lot of the people that I hear discredit this portion. They're just like, you never. I'll drive for six hours. You won't remember nothing. I couldn't tell you where I go. That's dry, like, that's that's like driving hypnosis. That's just normal. Yeah, you just kind of don't know. But I'm so, like, there's a little difference to this one. That's, yeah, I I don't know. That's never. I've never experienced that, and I fucking used to commute for work like crazy. That's nuts. If I could fucking drive to four hours and forget anything that happened on that drive, <laughs> I'd be very concerned for. Like, oh, do that happens early onset fucking dementia. I'll drive like 45 that's minutes. Not won't remember half hour of the drive. Just go into autopilot. <laughs> That's the CTE Jesus. from repeated brain, brain injuries, my friend. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. That does not sound normal. It happens no, to a lot of people. No, it does. Because maybe not that you don't remember it. You just like kind of space out. You're just so focused focus on the road that you just don't really. Re- I hope you're focused on the road. I'm very concerned. But maybe you should I'm take not. your license away if you I'm can't fo- remember I'm how you got from point A to else. point B. Anything else Jesus. other than the road. If anyone was in front of me, I'd just crash into them. <laughs> So I'm saying that's terrifying. Braden falls asleep. He's really good at driving straight, though. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, it's suggested that the hills uh, participate in regressive hypnosis. Now, back then, regressive hypnosis was veiled as like a a viewed as a legitimate way to recover memories. Yeah. And there's still I think there's still a little bit of debate today whether it is a. um, It's hard to prove. 
Yeah. It, Were they still giving people lobotomies in the 60s or what's, what's probably yeah, so shock, think, shock therapy, hypnosis? Those might have been also uh, considered legitimate treatments. I feel like it's not that far removed certain, from certain fucking leeching. <laughs> like, Jesus. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, the, so, <laughs> go the ahead. Ta- the tapes, however, like the tapes from these hypnotic regression sessions are horrifying. Like, absolutely horrifying. Right. They were put in contact with the well-known Boston psychiatrist and neurologist, Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was one of the most respected doctors in the field at that time, you know, uh, pertaining to regressive hypnosis and, and psychiatry. He, he This guy he knew was, his stuff. He was the, Tim, he was the man. He was up there with uh, Johnny Wishbone and fucking... Uh, Dr. Sprinkles. Cleo. And Dr. Sprinkles. Dr. Sprinkles, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Sprinkles is up there too, baby. <laughs> So uh, throughout this is this is probably two years now, two to three years after their actual experience after the trip. So you know, trying to dodge reporters of these things, and they the hills were were still very hesitant to come forward and kind of discuss this two hour things, and especially these nightmares of what had been happening. But they had kind of seen a decline in, in their in both of kind of their their mental health and and kind of just the way that they were their well-being uh th- these these nightmares were taking their toll on betty not being able to sleep barney as well was kind of uh, in, in deteriorating health at this point uh, feeling you know these bouts of stress and anxiety and things like that and and he like from what i read in the beginning he wasn't that he was more there at the behest of Betty, then like he, he didn't really want to go. It sounded like to me, he was a little more apprehensive to oh, the 100%. hypnotic regression. He but yet like you listen to his tapes, and it's it's terrifying. Are we gonna do we have some of their tapes, Zell? Yeah, we got so we have so through Dr. Simon, like they ended up recording some of the hypnosis. So I have, let's play the let's play the Barney one really quick first. So yeah, Bar- yeah, Barney was never it never really seemed like he was the one interested. In, kinda, in it, but uh, it's oh hi, Doctor Simon. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm here. My wife really wants me to come, but I uh, you know this is silence. No, okay. I am Doctor Simon, and Doctor Simon says, "Remember." Oh, oh no! His eyes, his eyes were slanted. Simon says, remember. Oh, no. What's he saying to me? What's he saying to me? Dr. Simon says, remember. God, give me strength. Simon says, keep remembering. God damn it, Cohagen. Give these people the air. Simon says, enough. Dr. Simon says, cash or credit. That, that's actually a very accurate depiction of the first interview. That's about how uh, <laughs> at least one portion of the, his recorded tapes go. So uh, Let's play that. Okay, so here is a, a little clip from Wait, Barney Hill. Wait, hold on. Trigger warning. This is actually terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, legitimately. <laughs> okay, we'll play, that, we'll play this Barney Hill one, and then uh, we'll keep going. We got some Betty Hill ones as well, but here we go. Barney Hill, hypnosis. Just stay there, he's saying to me. All right. I'll take it my head. Just All go right. pull All the right. binoculars away. God, give me strength. All right. 
Fine, actually, it's absolutely terrifying. I, I mean, it is terrifying. Scary. Halfway through, when he busts into the mid Arnold, I always kind of like. I'm getting tones of like Arnold meets Bill Cosby, like Jello Pool and Pop, you know, like it's fucking scary, man. It's t- it's terrifying. So it's actually to hear <laughs> you're like, holy shit! This so re- guy was terrified. Rever- like I don't blame him. Like obviously he was that fucking the trauma that they must have fucking had. You know, and like, not to mention too, like this is the '60s. This is a biracial couple. They probably really wanted to do their best to stay fucking low profile and not, you know what I mean? They've already probably dealt with enough scrutiny. Yeah. Now that they're going to be known for, you know, the alien abduction couple at the same time, like just stacking more odds against an already stacked deck. But so when when people get like regressive hypnosis, it's supposed like the treatment is supposed to like. Bring back the memories which you forgot due to trauma, right? They're trying to like, what? what it, have, that's pretty much what it is. Kind of, yeah. Uh, in Simple so many terms. words, yeah. yeah, that's that's what it is. Like, uh, Doctor Simon actually kind of because you know it, hypnosis is kind of a thing back then. It was like I said, it was considered legitimate science, and there was certain methodology and techniques that you had to use in order to condition people to be. Uh, it be able to be treated by the, the techniques that are involved in regressive hypnosis, according to Dr. Simon and, and the Hills. Like, I think they spent like three days, like three days kind of conditioning the Hills to be able to be put into the, uh, the, the hypnotic state that is required to recover these memories unconsciously. Because I think Dr. Dr. Simon's uh, kind of, progression or his his plan was to how they treat people with regressive hypnosis is eventually you you have these people interact with their thoughts in an unconscious state in the hypnotic state and then you kind of bring it back and it like slowly reintroduce them to consciousness and then deal with the to be able to deal with these and and describe them and bring them into conscious memory because at this point uh you know in the at the first meeting before uh, Barney had this, the, you know, the, what you hear him saying, I think that's from the, the first real uh, hypnotic state where Dr. Simon had put him into hypnotic. Uh, under, he's like, you know, he's like yeah. I can work with this. Right. <laughs> but he's also trying to keep Barney calm. Like he's trying to, in the original transcripts of the thing, it, it goes into more detail about uh, how he's telling Barney to stay calm, like they can't hurt you because he's conditioned him in such a way to be like, look, you're, these are memories. You can interact with them. You can see stuff, but it can't hurt you. Can't you're hurt safe, you. all of this. But but even so, doing that, when Barney recalls these things unconsciously, he still feels initially this deep fear and this terror of the events that occurred in that two-hour gap. Whatever occurred then whether it be this from his dreams afterward or whatever, like it feels so real to him in the moment that it's like, it's ha- like it's happening again. Yes. And he's like, just uh, I think, uh, one of the, one of the poignant parts from the, the, the book that I read about their case being that, uh, 
in this hypnotic state, you're in your unconscious, you know, you're interacting with your unconscious mind and your unconscious and in your unconscious mind, everything is now. There is no past. There's no present. There's no can't distinguish uh, no yeah. future yeah. or there's only present. You're just like, you're only in the moment and in, in, so, in so many words. So it's like, yeah, interacting with that stuff is like right away. You're just, you're put in that, in that moment and it could, can legitimately be terrifying. Yeah. As, as you can hear, like, so Dr. Simon, it was like six months of doing these trials and stuff, wasn't it? He like, it wasn't like a simple, like a weekend gig. The guy gave him a check a few sessions and they were out of there. This was like a six month studied thing. Yeah. He, he took a lot of notes, uh, you know, from his, from the book that has the original transcripts from all of the sessions or most of the sessions that they had. Uh, those are from the interrupted, interrupted journey by John G. Fuller. If anybody wants to read it, uh, has all the original transcripts and Dr. Spr- uh, Dr. Sprinkle, Dr. Simon's, uh, original <laughs> notes. Sprinkle. Well, Dr. Sprinkle's evolved. He's somewhere in the story. I yeah. know I saw his name in there somewhere. What? He's he's because involved he's because Sprinkle? he was part. Yeah, well, he's part of MUFON and all them. So he's it was like blue. He's book in there the somewhere. And... I know. I saw his name mentioned. Yeah, uh, I love that guy. So in Dr. Simon's notes and his uh, interacting with the hills and his sessions with the hills. Yeah, they had multiple sessions and they eventually kind of uh, like that. I think that original tape, the ones where are the ones that you'll hear most on the. Uh, you know, TV specials and and TV shows about the hills. You get the ones from the from the first couple sessions where uh, Barney and and Betty. I think mostly Barney actually has the most fear of these things, uh, expresses yeah. the most fear, and but eventually, like it kind of it, it calms off because Doctor Sipen helps him or whatever to interact with these thoughts, and eventually he becomes more accustomed to these things, but the, definitely the first tapes really make an impact Terrifying. about how traumatic this, this event seemed to be. Right. Now we have some clips of, of Betty coming up, but right before that, we're going to take a quick break, grab a beer and we'll be right back. Okay. So we left off. Uh, we're just talking about, we, we did Barney's, hypnosis now let's mm-hmm. let's talk about because betty betty gives an account of how they were taken so let's start with this one he stopped the car and these men started to come up to the car they 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 separated they came up in two groups and when they started to do that I, I get real scared. And the, the, the car motor died. The car stopped. And, and when they started coming up, Barney tried to start the car. He tried to start it, and you know how a motor of a car would just turn over, turn over, it won't fire? And he started to start the car. He did what? He's trying to start the car yes. and it won't start. And the men are coming towards us. And I think, well, I can't get away from this. I can, if I get the car door open, I can run in the woods and hide. And I'm thinking it. And I just put my hand on the car door and open it. And, just, and the men come up 
and they opened it for me. And they opened the car door, and this, this, not very big man, and this one <laughs> next to me, and then this, she kind of just peters off into a little bit of rambling there. Pretty much the, these entities walking towards the car, the car stalls. No, you mean the car. The car. The car. Well, and that's a, and I mean, that's a staple of like, you know, so many abduction cases that like electronics and stuff stop working and you can't fire up your car. Like, um, do they all borrow from this story? Or That's is what there, I was, well, was going to say. In their, like, in their account, um, Barney actually stops the car first. He breaks the car because he notices these craft. people that they, well, these people that they, you know, are observing, like they look like people, are standing in the road. And he stops the like car. They, they stop, like, before they, they set they up a roadblock, kind of. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. And so, but, but the, the funny thing is, is they're, or the strange thing is, is that their their accounts because Doctor Simon interviewed them separately, so had their regard, you know, the their regression therapy sessions separately, and they both described this event as like kind of the this is what started it. Like they stopped the car because they saw these creatures, these these people standing in the road, and then the car stopped. So he stops the car, and then the car, as these as these entities walk towards him, the car turn like dies they try and turn it over right. and it's he just, stops the car cars idling some point car, car dies. dies they walk up to then the car these, I, I like the, i like then, when she says i go to open the car door and they open it for me <laughs> right this like gentlemen nice gen- gentlemen gentlemen basically gentlemen basically gentlemen lets her out of the car and then the rest she kind of like rambles for a bit but pretty much they're taken aboard the craft right so um in in their sessions barney definitely describes being kind of put into a trance like put or like some at some point he is he he feels the thought or or something that these creatures are going to take him that these these things are going to take them uh he even he even recalls this in in a couple of his recollections from from the from the sessions about like he felt that these creatures or these figures were coming for him when they first saw the craft when they observed it in the sky not when even before they stopped the car when they had observed it when they pulled off to the side of the road when he looked at it with binoculars he said that he felt that these figures or what he the 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 people that he saw in this craft he was already getting this feeling that there was like a compulsion or he felt the type of compulsion to to stay where you are well, didn't he he had a he pulled his gun out didn't he oh wait right. they did have a, gun. They he had a gun, gun with him and started aiming it at the ship being like all right motherfuckers well, i'm not go. sure if he ended but i know he ha- i know he yeah. had ready one. uh until he heard that sweet fucking dubstep coming from the saucer and got sure. lulled into this <laughs> false trance. false sense of security what, we talked about it yesterday fucking people from the future coming to the past they were bumping fucking techno <laughs> they had no idea you know and they're like i don't it's just beeping it's weird <laughs> That's what we all thought when we heard Sandstorm for the first time. Yeah. It was beep, dope, beep, beep, beep. but it was beeping right. and weird. Yeah. You can keep going. We could. 
Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of new. <laughs> I'm inside. I'm for some sandstorm. Let's go. Go get my sticks. I'd fucking march I remember right downloading that on LimeWire. LimeWire. <laughs> LimeWire. It's on Electric Circus. Much TV or much music. Yeah. Uh, the the process of them being brought onto the craft, it, the memory of that is more clear to Betty. Now, Betty in her sessions and her transcripts of her recollections of this uh, event, she goes on to describe that they were brought out of the car and it felt very much like they were kind of sleeping, like they weren't able to choose or anything like that. Uh, Betty felt like she was almost kind of compelled, not able to uh, of no choice of her own to get out of the car and follow uh, these figures, these creatures off the, off the road into the, the trees and like down a path, uh, to approach this craft, which they had seen before. Um, and she remembers that she actually kind of woke up at some point where she kind of either, uh, like her will resurfaced or of some type. And she started calling to Barney and saying, Barney, Barney, wake up, Barney. Calling him Barney, and she describes that Barney. (laughs) Barney, she describes that Barney had his eyes closed pretty much the whole time, so it was like Barney was asleep or something. But he was walking of his own power, and that these two, there were two uh, creatures on each side of him. These figures, these humanoid figures, uh, were walking him onto the ship, and she was calling after him. And it's at this point that she remembers one of the creatures turning to her and and conveying the message conversing with her saying oh is his name barney you know and she remembers telling this creature she how did said, you how did you know that maybe because you've been screaming it fucking 500 times <laughs> well and she recalled barney. like saying you know reacting with kind of like disgust or a kind of dismissive of him because like who are you to question me if his name is barney because you're taking us out of our car and she just kept trying to call to barney and yeah that's pretty much what she describes like hey is his name barney you know just come with us come with us we're not going to hurt you um and then being like, she def- she she expressed this quote from the creature being like, the longer you fool around, the longer it will take to get back to your car. It's like, if you just stop squirming, we'll let you go. That's yeah. what she said that the creature said. To pretty her. intergalactic sex offendee right there. Well, and just the thing, like how she describes these two creatures kind of like helping Barney walk. I kind of imagine if Barney's in some sort of trance where his eyes are closed, and if you think if he's like, even if like he's got his arm around these two things, they're helping him walk, and as he lifts his feet, he's like dragging it, right? Like his shoes. His, he's dragging his shoes like it's lumbered, right? That's how you could get maybe that really heavy scratching on his dress shoes. Well, it, so I'm wondering if they saw him as more of a threat than Betty, and so that's why he was sedated and Betty wasn't. Well, hundred percent, and and it's like, the, well, he had a gun. Too, well, and, and here's the thing, yeah. right? Like, let's say if if we were abducted, if, if four of us were abducted by aliens, and three of you guys were put into some sort of deep, like sedative, and they were just like, "Hey, calm down, we won't hurt anyone." I'm not going to start fighting <laughs> by myself while you guys. I'm going to be like, "Okay, I won't." No, fight. you're going to present. You're just going to bend over and present. No, I'm going to. I'm going to go. go, go hey, take them. Just... Do what you want. It's all good. 
I'll give consent for them. I was asking for it anyways. Yeah. Just fucking well, look how they're dressed. Okay, yeah. on the on that on that note of him being dragged, like say he was dragging his feet, because yeah. the hills through this hypnosis actually, I mean this is, this is where we get the alien grays, right? They right. describe so, them as four or five mm-hmm. feet tall, with the like the gray skin, the slanted eyes, right? Bald headed, no hair. So if if they say they were, they were helping him along, like like you help an injured player off the ice. They were helping him, but they're so short, he would be like dragging his feet. They kind of be like dragging him on his knees pretty much to the craft. Right. I think a majority, now they said that a majority of them were about five feet tall, but there was one that was actually taller than the rest. And they felt like that was the leader. And now eventually uh, Betty goes on to describe that she had uh, a pretty long interaction with the leader uh, after, well, this is post what they described as a type of kind of medical examination going on so once they get into the craft uh betty kind of remembers that they're taking barney off and she says you know where are you taking him uh in, in so many words like she kind of describes their experiences that they're separating the two and the the creature that had originally talked to her which she kind of dubbed the leader kind of said like oh like they're taking in over there but we only have room for one person so you need to stay here that- so, so then they split them up then so they split them up, but they go on to perform a type of some type of what Betty construed as like a medical examination on her. Yeah. So you had them taking things that she described. There was kind of like a skin scraping. Uh, they took out some type of blade or some type of instrument where they kind of scraped her her skin uh, and then onto some type of slide and then put it on what she described as looking like very much like a microscope and then looking at it. They're going deep in uh, DNA. Well, right. Like. Uh, you know, they kind of poked and prodded at her, uh, you know, eventually after they, you know, they kind of poked at her mouth and like her head and things like this. And then they told her, you know, get undressed. And so she did because it's what you do when you get abducted by aliens on, you you on their you ship. You get abducted, you can get addressed. And Clench as hard as you can. <laughs> and clench and swing. Yeah. And so uh, this is where we also get the um, they laid her on a table and she's described as some type of an examination table that you would find in just like, you know, a GP office in a, uh, in a doctor's office. And they brought over, uh, other instruments. I think she felt uh, like, a, like she felt some type of pinch on her arm and some other instruments that they seem to use to kind of, uh, either take some readings or some type of, uh, measurements and things like that. And then they brought over a type of a long needle instrument. Dude, this is where in the hypnosis recordings is where she like gets really freaked out because what she describes it as like the longest needle she's ever seen and the ET doctor or whatever the creature is inserts it into her navel, like into her stomach. Right. So, I mean, we, I, so I, I got a clip of that. So let's just hear, you can hear like the sound, like her voice of when she describes this. And the examiner has a long needle in his hand and I see the needle and it, it's it's bigger than any needle I've ever seen and he, I asked him what he's going to do with it and he said just a simple death to vulture and I asked him what and he said he just wants to put it in my navel. It's just a simple test. And 
Right. Creepy. So now this, this leader is she she remembers this leader talking to her or some type. Now there there's some kind of there's a small weird thing about whether these creatures actually vocally communicate it with her as opposed to telepathically like, communicate it with her. Yeah. They went on to describe at first that these things these entities had kind of small looking mouths, but then again, in the transcripts, like later in, in some of the later sessions, uh, Barney went on to go say that, uh, you know, the Hills said that these creatures had no mouths, that there was a absence of a mouth, not even a little slit, just a, not even a little just, slit. They just had nothing. So there's whether these creatures were, but they also described this, this thing, these entity, uh, mostly the leader because he's the only one that really communicated with the hills or seems to anyways he communicated them in like accented english that's in the in the first couple sessions they talk about they remark on he he was communicating to them in english but with some type of heavy foreign accent that they couldn't really place hmm. like not even a guess but not like a like an Eastern European accent. What kind of accent? No, they didn't. Even, they weren't they really had no sure. Guess, really. They, they, they just said it was just a heavily accented English or something. It was an accent. There was there was an accent quality to his English. So what? The, go for it, Andrew. I was just gonna like uh, this is a little bit off topic, but like the them experimenting or whatever going to her navel is interesting because it kind of brings me back to the the thought process that. Potentially, these alien encounters are memories of fucking birth, right? And that's, you know, going and snipping the umbilical cord because I've never really heard anything to do with the them inserting anything in, in, um, in, in your uh, belly button before in any of these encounters. And like you think about it, like, I'm, I'm, why? Well, what are you trying to reach in there? Like, my, I was reading, my thought went to I this. I was reading, pardon me? Quick, this is a quick thought on when I went to this. It's like, why would they put a needle? Maybe. Like maybe what they're, maybe they're taking, maybe they took eggs. Let me took some of her eggs or something. Cause they also, well, they, they told her or according to her in her sessions, they told her, or the leader told her it was a, it was a pregnancy test. They didn't say whether it was like it was testing for pregnancy or suitability for being pregnant or, you know, anything like that. They just said it was a pregnancy test and she responded, she responded saying, you're not going to find anything. Cause I'm pretty sure like at this point in her life, Betty knew that she wasn't going to have any children because of, I mean, a like, little early for menopause, I think she was physically, yeah, she's only 41. Yeah. Yeah. A little early for menopause. Well, no, no, but I think she was, I feel like, like she didn't, she was physically incapable of having children. Oh, she like hysterectomy maybe or something. Like hysterectomy yeah. or something. Or so, uh, yeah. I wonder, maybe they just don't know human anatomy that well to not know that you don't have to go through the fucking no. umbilical cord to get into 
that well, area she, they could have she, went in without a needle, but yeah, she well, she just said navel, so like I could I guess could have been is that or, through, I, is it that might have been something that belly she's more afraid or? that she was barren because I think somebody said that she has a they have a granddaughter, so I think they have kids they, actually. Fucking but, right, they, they're granddaughters in the UFC, yeah, and Angela right. Hill. So yeah, yeah I'm but telling there's you, there's this something about real. her. Maybe Dude, they talked to her about it, and she's preparing for the fucking invasion. They souped up her eggs. Yeah. Oh, that's what yeah, super eggs. Made of super athletes. Super eggs. Angela Hill is an ass kicker too. She's half alien, so potentially. Potentially. Isn't there isn't there a nickname like Overkill Hill? It's a, that's, I don't. I know. hope so. That's great. Okay. So, so now you ha- you have her after this procedure that they put her through. Um, she gets dressed and then. She kind of had, they still have Barney, I believe, in, and they're still performing some type of thing because Barney now, he recalls that they also put him under some type of uh, medical examination. Now, he's not, his his recollection, I don't believe, is as clear as hers was. He more felt like, I, it was more a feeling to him because I believe his eyes were pretty much he felt like his eyes were closed. So it was more like sensations uh, when he describes yeah, his experience. So he was saying that he felt like, you know, them poking and prodding at his front, uh, some type of needle or, or kind of a pinch on one of his arms, um, them flipping over, flipping him over. Uh, they described them kind of either feeling like they were counting like his, his vertebrae or down his back or something like this. And then he also described the sensation of them placing, it seemed to be some type of device uh, in between his legs uh, over his groin, like some type of metal uh, device is what he described it as. So they're take, uh, taking eggs and taking sperm. And th- that's, that was his assumption. At, well, uh, I think towards the end of it. I don't think he was necessarily told like either way as, as Betty was like, there was nobody, there were no, uh, the leader didn't communicate with him at all from the recollections. I don't think well, Barney had any probably interaction. Soon really he's the, unconscious because he had his eyes open, closed the whole time. <laughs> so, I think I find it, I find it interesting that in these regressions, he's like, Oh yeah, I had my eyes closed, but I could feel they were doing something like growing yet when he knew he didn't remember any of this, the first thing he does when he gets home, and this is quoted by him, is go and check his genitalia. Like, he just goes and gives his dick a quick inspection afterwards. I'm like, motherfucker knew something happened. I think he didn't want to tell anyone that he fucked an alien. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean... I think he remembered the whole shit. I think he remembered parts of it. I mean, that, to me, when when I first read that, it's like, yeah, he got home and the, he went and had a shower and inspected for his, space aids. Hey, yeah, he's checked for a, space crabs, right? Yeah, I, I think like we it, spades, and I, I'm I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything, but like it's not uncommon you, you in other alien abduction stories for like you know we've heard of erotic counters with ETs. Yeah, but usually they're uh, like a the past. they're like a a Nordic alien. No, they're not an alien gray with no mouth and. Well, there's the what about the tall one? Maybe that's a Nordic fucking boss in these grays around. Oh, okay. So there was one, one alien, one ET capable of sexual. One of them could dunk. <laughs> one of those guys could dunk. They were saying he's tall. He's, you know. Uh, okay. Okay. So, uh, so after this, the medical examinations are through, um, I guess maybe Barney's took a little longer than Betty's did. Betty had time, uh, a longer time to kind of interact with this leader. Now, throughout her sessions with Dr. Simon, it seemed that she at first was, uh, she recalled being afraid 
at the beginning but then as the encounter the longer the encounter went she felt more comfortable talking to this leader because this leader was talking to her about just um normal things like asking her questions and kind of like uh, about her and like about the planet or things like this so she recalls this for example this uh, an interaction where she asked the because betty was a ufo believer before this you know she believed in ufos uh she was telling him or trying to convey to him or communicate to him how amazing it was at some point she got kind of excited i guess mm. at some point where she's like this nobody's going to believe me can i i need something that will be proof of this encounter and so the she said that the leader said you know what 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 do you need or what what do you want and she just reached out and she grabbed something that appeared to be like a book like from a shelf or something it was like a shelf or somewhere near there near the area that they examined her she took this book and she had been looking through this book it had she identified it as symbols she couldn't read it um mm -hmm. uh, even through the hypnotic regression and it, she was able to just kind of talk about details of these symbols but she wasn't uh, she most closely related it in her mind to Japanese, like these are just, you know, characters and things that she couldn't identify. Um, uh, something like that. So then uh, she's like, and he's like, yes, sure. You can take this book. So he told her that you can, she can take the book. And so she was hanging on to this book. And then um, now he, at this point, I guess took her over because this is another important part. There are other small parts to the encounter but one of the biggest parts that you'll come across is the talk the mention of a star map because betty was interested in where these entities were from where mm -hmm. the, the people were from so eventually she asked like where are you from you know where do you where do you come from where do you hail from <laughs> uh yeah and she asked him like where is your i, I know she talked and thinks she was interested in finding like where is your home port and so this uh, this creature, this entity took her, the leader took her to some type of, uh, she said it, it, she describes it as not not being like a table exactly, but kind of like a shelf and kind of pulls it out and it has a something like a map on it. And it's it's not square, but it's oblong. And she identified, uh, you know, it had a different dots in it of varying kind of degrees of uh not, not brightness i think like brightness and then these these lines were joined or these these dots were joined with different lines so you had lines that were thicker than the others uh, varying degrees of you know thin uh some were dotted and the the leader conveyed to her that you know the ones that had dotted like the ones that were thicker than the others he said these are trade routes yeah and then the other ones are expeditions and then, you know, he asked her, like, do you he, like asked her kind of flat out, like, do you know, like where your solar system is? Like, do you yeah. know where your planet is? And she's red like, light well, no. district, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and she and she told him, no, like she she said that she tried to communicate with him like her. She had very basic knowledge of the solar system. She knows that we our Earth revolves around the sun. We've got nine planets at the time. Pluto's and a fucking much planet. All she really knew. And then he's like, well, there's no reason to show you where you are if you don't really know where your planet is. And then like shut it. And then that was it. That was the end of that conversation. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> through through aggression, like she actually gives her account of that. 
And yeah, it's like a an oblong star map. And here is the audio to that. He did something. He opened up. Uh, it wasn't like a draw. He sort of did something in, in the metal of the wall. There was an opening. And he pulled down a map. And he asked me, had I ever seen a map like this before? And I walked across the room and I leaned against the table and I looked at it. And it was a map of, it was a oblong map. And he said that the heavy lines were trade routes. And then the other lines, the other line, the, 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 the solid lines were places they went occasionally. And he said that The broken lines were expeditions. So I asked him where he, what, where was his home port? And he said, Where's the, where are you on this map? And I looked and I laughed and I said, I don't know. So, I mean, I, I find that super interesting that like, yeah, this is the map. These are our trade routes. These are our current expeditions and these or these are places we sometimes go to. And these are our current expeditions. Right. And, uh, Betty, like after this experience, like she, she recalled this and I think she was able to actually reproduce like the, the, not necessarily the star map itself, not 100%, but she drew the shape. Like she drew the star, like she drew some dots, like interconnecting dots. And she drew like a very distinctive kind of triangular constellation shape kind of thing. Right. Uh, from these things. And I think it's important to add to the best of her memory. Mm -hmm. Right. After the fact. Yeah. So it's not like she like three years. This is, yeah. This is quite after, after hypnotic regression and she remembering seeing this. So it's like, it's off. Cause a lot of people will also criticize this map and they go, yeah, it could be anything. It's not even that close hmm. to anything. I'm like, yeah, but it's close enough to some things, which makes it impressive with the totality, like the total situation of the story it makes it more interesting. Yeah, and, and so her making these connections, eventually the star map would become a, a point of fascination for, uh, it's like a school teacher named, uh, from Ohio named Marjorie Fish, who uh, she was intrigued by the mystery of this map, and she actually dedicated a, a lot of time of her personal time trying to figure out and match up this 
diagram that she had put and she she kind of had the idea that perhaps what betty was looking she didn't recall it clearly enough that it wasn't just a 2d map it was more like a 3d map so she actually modeled out like a number of constellations and stuff like stars within i think within a, she she had like a certain number of light years and she modeled like hanging them like taking marbles and like hanging them in whatever and then she ended up kind of matching up and she found a a, a relatively close or sim like a similar uh, what seemed to match with um betty's description and the and the shape that she had drawn of this of this map or what she had drawn that she recalled being this map and there is the double star like one of the points was a double star system of zeta reticuli one and zeta reticuli two boom <laughs> there it is. I mean, that's very like common. That's like we talked about that with Bob Lazar, right? Yeah, Zeta Reticuli. Well, he Bob and and Serpico, fucking Project Serpico. They talked. Yeah, about Serpo. Too, didn't they? Um, yeah, they like. I mean, it's not wild so, now, but like <laughs> a lot of people say that that's where the the small grays are from is Zeta Reticuli. Well, it's become yeah. it's become cemented in like ufology that. That right, wherever that ET species is, is from Zeta Reticuli right. one or two, and that's only thirty-seven light years from Earth, which is as far as like a galactic distance is relatively short. Like if you're going with like right. if they're jumping somehow like faster than light speed travel or something, mm -hmm. not taking into consideration like wormholes, but it's not that far as far as the galaxy is concerned. Like it's a short hop. And so after after this uh, this whole thing, I think Betty had actually put the book down at some point, and then uh, the other, <laughs> I thought this was kind of a, a fun description, or this is a funny event. She she recalls like the other entities coming in from another room and being like excitedly talking or gesturing of some type, and then they like they they went up to her like went straight to her and kind of like opened her mouth and were kind of like poking at her teeth and like pulling at her teeth, and she said that. You know, she asked the leader, like, what are they doing? What are they what are they looking for? And he says, oh, like you're you're, you're Barney, uh, his teeth come out like, you know, they're not his teeth, whatever, like yours don't come out. But Barney's do. And because Barney had dentures, <laughs> dentures, yeah. Barney yeah. had. Um, and so they were trying to figure out what this is. And she told him, like, oh, oh. They had uh, Barney has dentures, and so this is another part of the story that kind of sticks. Where it's the these entities kind of ask her like, "Well, what are dentures?" And she kind of had to explain that and said like, "Oh, when people get old or they get older, old age." He wasn't even old. Get, he's like thirty nine. He's got yeah. fucking dentures. Hadn't been well. There. Yeah, well, I guess but, dental yeah. care back in the sixties. Yeah, right? I guess, but still thirty nine right? so, still seems young. Uh, right, and then she, and then the. The leader kind of questioned her, well, what is old age? And then she tried to explain him like, well, it's a year, you know, when somebody gets on in years and he's like, what are years? So he, he was specifically questioning her like he didn't from her description or her recollection, this these creatures didn't have any concept of old age and they didn't understand some concepts as humans understand them, I guess. So. Um, they asked her specifically, yeah, this this concept of time they didn't really understand. They didn't understand old age. They also didn't understand because she she went on to describe something about um, color. She she referenced something as being yellow, and he's like, "What's yellow?" And she's like, "It's a color." And he's like, "What's color?" And then she 
uh, he knows what a car is. Well, she would. She said she tried to look around the room to try to point out. So I was like, well, I'll just look around the room and I'll point something. But then when she looked around the room, she couldn't really find anything. It's all dull. It was all dull or white or whatever. There wasn't really color. So that's that's also something kind of that that seemed to stick with her and is also a point on the uh, of interest in this encounter that these creatures seem to have no concept of some of the things that that she was kind of talking about well so then after this it's it's pretty much um uh, they end up bringing barney out uh you know finishing his examination or whatever and they start ushering her back to her and barney like back to their car they go to be putting back in the car and she's and betty at this time in her recollection she's talking to the leader still and being like when when will i see you again will i ever see you again uh, cause you know, people should know about you or something like this. And, and then she remembers that she's, she wanted that proof. And she remembers that she had actually put the book down at some point. She had put the book down. I think it's when she went, when she went to go look at the map and then she said, Oh, the book, you promised me you would give me the book. And then I think she got <laughs> angry at this point, or she remembers yeah. feeling angry that you told me I could take the book. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> took it back. <laughs> and the lead and the leader said, I, yeah, I said I could, you could take the book, but, but the others, the others say disagree and I can't let you take the book. So she didn't take it. No book. book for you. No book for you. And uh, so they put her and Barney back in the car. Uh, it's, it's kind of this is the towards the end of this encounter. Uh, she remembers the creatures walking them back through the woods, put them in the car. You know, they start getting this this feeling of complacency, this feeling of of, ha- of general happiness, of well, of well, good, you know, well-being. And we're back and, where uh, we started. Right. And then the beeping sound and then pretty much picking up to being like Barney being like or, or Betty is almost like the middle of the conversation that they were having, like a couple seconds before they stopped the car of Betty asking Barney, do you believe in UFOs now? And then Barney being like, ha ha, no, that's crazy. Like, da, da, da. And then they just drive they hear the beeping sound and then they drive off. And that was all filled in with the regressive hypnosis. Um, yeah. Before we give theories, I just want to talk about the Zeta Reticuli thing. Cause I mean, that's the big, that's the big thing that everyone points to in this story is like, okay, well, Betty was able to identify the star system, which was Zeta Reticuli one and two, because I know I think Dan told us before that in, at the end, um, what was her name? Marjorie, Marjorie Fish. Fish ended up recanting her story later on saying like, Oh, judging now with new information, there's no chance that Zeta 1 and 2, Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2 could harbor life. So I looked into right. that a little bit and I was like, well, why not? Why couldn't a binary star system harbor life? So I looked at the, those stars are pretty far apart. I mean, they're close as far as stars go, but the number is 3,750 astronomical units. And for those who don't know, an astronomical unit, unit is the distance from Earth to the sun. So, oh, so it's far. It's 0. 0.06 light years. So it's they're really far apart. So I was like, why couldn't one like a sun have like that one each sun have a few planets? They're so far apart that why, why couldn't they right. have life? I don't think it's not it's necessarily how close the stars are together, but it's actually because I looked into this as well about certain types of stars. It's not only about the distance from the stars, but also the kind of type of star it is because you have our star. That's the general there's, you know, there's different types of stars like G, like a different G, ratings. K, yeah. But whatever. Um, 
how they categorize them. But there's also the rate that they rotate. And I think the Zeta reticuli ones like rotate too fast for them to actually be there. There's some significance to that. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but it, and- some stars spin too fast. And therefore, like the planets that would surround them, like the inertia or something would it throws them all out of whack. But hey, I, as far as that, if I know anything, it's that life will find a way. Boom. But what I'm saying is like, yes, probably as life as we know it as like carbon based, like life like us. Probably not, but what what's the saying that whatever something couldn't evolve there that we just don't know about? As I think it just it's I thought it was short sighted, like yeah, there's no chance life could ever evolve on these planets because that's as far as life as we know. Well, when we did, have never when found did she recant her story? Like that it, was before her death in like 2013. It's deathbed confession, which is also kind of suspect sometimes because like yeah. you're, you're you know depending on your She's mental pro- state near the end, you know I don't know. Like I mean, obviously it was important for her to recant if she did on her fucking deathbed. Well, she felt she had to do it because they had had new to, newer data about those stars that come out and that these binary stars uh, within that pattern were either... Yeah, but now t- we're finding habitable planets fucking like every other day. Right, it's, but not in binary star. I'm not 100% sure about binary star systems. Yet. 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 We, well, we don't know if any planets are habitable because we have no idea. We just know there's planets there in the right Goldilocks zone, if you will. Right, yeah. planets as we would... That would be suitable to our type of life. Yeah. Or as close to our life as possible. So either way, whatever the hills through hypnosis or whatever, they believe to be true. Like they are hunt like mm-hmm. through whatever their memories or through hypnosis and stuff, they believe it to be true. Right. So that's kind of where that's where we're at now. So uh we're running a little bit long. So let's uh is there anything more to the story? And that's pretty much not really. That's where no. final thoughts. That's, I think that's where it ends. So who wants now, to go first? I'll go. I'll go first. So it's I. This one is an interesting one because when I look at it, if let's say for a second that this is a hoax, this none of this happened. The details and the planning going into it. There's such. There's some of the details that are so minute that I'm like like the scuffing of the shoes. I'm like, that is such a good detail for the story for this, but to be planning out the thing, like if you're planning this out for a hoax, I'm like, God damn, that's a, that's a, that was a smart detail. And and for those reasons, I, I think it, this is a true encounter. I believe that Betty and Barney Hill had an ex- uh, experience. And I believe they were abducted. Do I believe that they, like it happened exactly no and the reason i don't quite believe that it ha- i believe something happened but i think the problem with the hypnotic regression one we kind of <laughs> know it's hocus pocus a little bit now two is that like it was done over months apart and it's not like they weren't talking to each other so it's like as they're talking to each other they're probably filling each other in and going like yeah yeah and then their their memories are skewing to what they're talking about and if you listen to some of the interviews um dr uh What's his name? Spencer? Simon. Simon. Dr. Also, Simon. Le- like he he leads a lot of the questions, right? He doesn't elicit an answer. He leads, what were they wearing? Right? Where instead, like that never comes freely from Barney of just like, hey, they're, you know, they're dressed <laughs> in some space get-ups. He, he specifically asks questions to then he, he, he gives response, right? So like in those kind of scenarios, I'm like, well, you know, 
he, he could just his brain like memories change like that shit happens we know that happens so when you're asked these questions your brain could just be filling in memories like instantly instantaneous you're just plugging holes um so i don't i don't believe that it's i believe the longer the regression went the more probably far-fetched the story got but i do believe they were taken and i also believe that barney probably knew a little bit more than he let on because i still find it super sus that the immediately getting home he's like take a shower check my i gotta take a shower and check my genitalia really quick i'm like to be honest i'm like that's to me i'm like that's someone who's like you know something happened and you're like okay i know like some something I'm, happened i better check i don't know what i was putting this thing in but i made a mistake i better have a shower <laughs> before my girl i made a mistake <laughs> um but like the fear in that first interview that's real it's like something something happened to them um f- for it to be a hoax i think that's you know it's it's there's two the small details to me is what gets it i'm like there's they would have had to plan these things so like planned it so well and these weren't these weren't like shysters right these were like upstanding citizens they were civil rights activists they like uh, they were in a presidential campaign at one point like helping out uh i can't remember which who's whose it was but uh which president but these were upstanding citizens in the community it's not like these were like shitty people and like looking for a quick buck and like from everything i read it's not like they gained fame kind of like fame or like financial wealth from this and like you said andrew before i was like this was also a time where it's like you're they're already under a lot of scrutiny for the relationship right so it's like i think something happened I do I believe it to the extent of what they say? No, I believe some of it's filled in by that hypnotic regression of it, it's probably somewhere in the middle of what happened, but that's my thoughts. I'm pretty much on the same page as that. Is that just the story forget the regress regressive hypnosis and the, ev- all the stories that come with it, just their account of seeing the craft, stopping, having the missing time being on the road 35 miles later and be like, what the fuck just happened? Like they had a dog at the time. They don't remember taking the dog out or anything. And you're like, okay. I mean, that's as far as UFO encounters, that's better than most. And then having the regressive hypnosis and stuff and all the stories that come with it. I just, the human brain is so complicated that I just can't trust hypnosis because just like a dream it can like if you've seen something or like you had any type of other like experience and like if you read some sci-fi or something, maybe that could pull well, out. And, and and not to mention that there was that Outer Limits uh, that had just come out that had aliens in it that were very strikingly and, similar to what and a Barney, Twilight Zone episode, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. So, yeah, but, and and what Barney like, described is like it's strikingly similar to these shows. Ex- yeah, and that so that's what I mean. Like, so take out the hypnosis because I've, we we now know six like sixty years later, it's yeah, it's still done. It's just not taken as you know, it's not taken as truth. It's like that's just a, a treatment maybe still, but it's not like you can't take it at its word because it's the mind is too it's too complex. You can't like. Fucking quack. Yeah, I mean, it's simple as that. To, to take that as truth, to be like, you just can't do it. But the rest of it, take out the hypnosis and just the encounter on its own is one of the better UFO encounters, in my opinion. Andrew? So for me, 
we have the encounter. We have two years and then we have hypnosis right away. Let's say they're hypnosis. Even we didn't know that it was quackery right there. You have two fucking years to formulate whatever you want and produce it. Get rid of that. Following that encounter, you know, we know that Betty had always been interested in in, in space. We know that she's been interested in um, aliens. She's always watching the sky. She's already admitted that her sister had an encounter following what they saw, which initially, like we said, Bernie thought was just a fucking plane and Betty thought it was an alien. So after the encounter, that's how it was left. Betty then talked to her sister, referred her to the Air Force captain or whoever, and then she started checking out books on aliens. There was that book written by the NICAP. Is it NICAP? I NICAP, I remember. yeah. By the NICAP, uh, one of the guys that worked for them. And then she dives into this spiral of fucking UFO lore and whatever information's out there on UFOs. And all she's doing is reading, reading, reading. And then what happens next? She starts having dreams. And I don't know about you guys, but I watch some fucking crazy shit on TV. I go to bed. <laughs> I'm having dreams about the crazy shit I saw on TV. If you're really into it, you know, it comes back in the subconscious. Well, exactly. And like, there's a lot of fucking stories about Betty being a little bit of a nutter, you know, like getting uninvited from UFO conventions and shit like that, because she's a little bit crazy. Now, is she actually a little bit crazy? Or maybe like we witnessed with our near death case file, where maybe these UFO encounters change your personality mm. and you're misinterpreting her being crazy as her kind of turning into a different person because of her experience she had. I don't know, but I just... With this, with the time frame, and then Carl Sagan fucking shooting holes all all over her uh, star map. You know what I mean? I star just, map's tough because how do you, there, there's a billions of stars. Other than other than the star map and her dreams, what do we have? We have an, an we have a, uh, we have a husband that understands happy wife, happy life. <laughs> yeah, I saw it too. <laughs> like I, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, but dude, that that acting job then in that first hypnotic regression is Oscar worthy. And we lost these cases that we are able to fucking shoot holes through, have really good sell jobs too. But what do they sell though? What do they get for financial gain in this case? They're the OG fucking alien abduction story. They how many different movies yep. and TV shows yep. and stories and books are written? Yeah, about but they, they, they didn't wouldn't profit. have possibly known that that was going to be a result because. It, they were very reluctant to in those two years. They were very reluctant to bring uh, Barney out. Barney was thing. reluctant. Bar, Barney, Barney was died and he was not reluctant. Died seven years after the incident, didn't he? Not. Yeah, like he, he died was pretty young. Pretty young. He died at forty five yeah. or forty six. Like he didn't get yeah. experience yeah. any fame or any money or anything from any of the events at all. Nobody made. He did it. I, in my opinion, I think Be Betty was the one that was seeking the attention for it. He wanted to fucking sweep this shit under the rug and didn't want anything to do with it. But he's as we have evidence of, whereas Betty was one pursuing and trying to fit, contacting NICAP, contacting all these fucking Air Force bases and shit like that and putting it out there. Dan, what do you think? So, yeah, uh, some of this might be a product of obsession. You could say that. Uh, Betty, definitely, if you go through her life from this encounter, like, you know, from even before the encounter to uh, in like, I think 1991 is when she kind of ended her relationship with the UFO community in, in so many words. Um, it, it was a type, it seemed to be a type of obsession. There are a lot of questions about her story. If you go and if you go and read the original transcripts of the word for word, there are a lot of questions that kind of popped up in my head. And Dr. Simon actually and like asked some of these questions. For example, 
why were these aliens uh, speaking to her in accented English? You know, even if they were perhaps like, okay, they don't, they learned English somehow, you know, they got a fucking Rosetta Stone on their ship and they're using Rosetta Stone English. And, but why would they not understand basic concepts like time or colors, even when their ship had very distinct color, like multicolorations on their ship, Betty and Barney both just, you know, described it having like red and yellow lights. They don't see color outside of the ship. They don't even see color. It's a byproduct. Right. These these creatures don't have, or they seem to don't have a concept of what color is. Um, another thing is like if they're speaking to her, even through their mind, or say they're just speaking through their mind, I, I could kind of be like, okay, maybe the, like their brains aren't 100% compatible with humans. And, you know, but it wouldn't mean that they would speak in unaccented English directly to your head. Maybe you would have a more like a feeling that you're understanding something or that entire words or stuff would just be garbled. But she was like understanding clearly what they were saying to her, you know? Mm. And so that's kind of a question to be like, eh, whatever. Um, Yeah. There's just a couple, you know, things like that. There's small things in the interviews that you're just like, you ask questions. And when Dr. Simon actually questions her on some of these things, he he remarks in his notes, like in, in, during the transcripts notes, he says that she becomes visibly agitated about some of these questions that become kind of hard to answer or that would be difficult to answer because it's like you're getting too deep or it's like you don't know how to explain that. Right. Eh, whatever. Well, here's, that, um, that kind of leads into like, what I was saying though is that like I believe something happened, but then I believe that there is some fabrication going on, whether on part of them or part of the hypnot like hypnotic regression. Right. Did I? What did Doctor Simon like eventually, even after their whole thing, he still kind of came to the conclusion that Betty's nightmares, the nightmares that she was having, you know, prior to the hypnotic regression sessions, had somehow leaked over to Barney because he remarked uh, like in his, uh, you know, getting, you know, sessions with Barney and conversations. He felt that Barney was very empathetic. He had a very empathetic personality. And then he picked up on, you know, emotional cues and things very easily. And that this is perhaps what happened. So perhaps Betty was having these terrifying nightmares about things, which, you know, perhaps stemmed or began with the you know, uh, observation of this craft or something during that night in uh, September 1961. But then, like Brayden said, perhaps it was just kind of like a feedback loop because whether or not you believe hypnotic regression is a legitimate, you know, medical practice, it is so, I think, I don't think it necessarily has been totally disproved, but it's also been like, I think it's more been discussed in terms that it is, more harmful than it is helpful can be generated because you're you unlock a lot of stuff and you can't put it back or or also subjects become highly suggestible they become very you know uh vulnerable to su- suggestion so like Braden like Braden said and like we said you know going home the bar- the hills were discussing these things these memories that they were uncovering in this stuff so it comes to become they start reinforcing each other uh from these sessions and then perhaps like because more and more stuff comes out more and more details comes out throughout the sessions but then a lot of stuff there there's just like there's a couple more questions about you know why you know just the question of alien abductions why take them you know if 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 the the craft you know they specifically told betty 
that they only have room for one person in their examination room, why abduct two people if you only yeah, have room for one? And why put them back? Why not? Why not put them back? Why? What do you? They're nothing. What are you gonna to do with your, them? Your experiments were ants to them. Fucking toss. Yeah, us but out. maybe they're much more civilized and advanced than us that they don't just murder people for no reason. Well, I don't know <laughs> with their tactics. I don't know how advanced they are, but. Yeah, so there's a lot of there's still a lot of questions to those things which can be filled in with conjecture and things like that. But yeah, I perhaps they really felt like they experienced something. And at the end of this whole thing, Betty ended up becoming very disillusioned with the UFO community because she went on to go say that a lot of the people following her encounter and her participation and and lectures and things like this and her going on the, the uh, you know the speaking tours and and all that stuff. Uh, she even reported having multiple UFO encounters and and tr- really trying to contact these aliens, like going out with with other UFO investigators. There was a point where I think she went with a couple of either NICAP but, but or UFO people. If you say you were a person who actually experienced, like 100%, you experienced this ET phenomenon. And you know they're out there. It was so you impactful. You know there's other life. Yeah, so impactful on your life. Like, well, no one believes me. I know that. But like, I just have to look. Like, you would have to look. Like, you would almost be compelled because like you, if you thought so strongly that you experienced this ET phenomenon, abduction, and the whole shebang, how would you not continue to look for it? It'd be impossible. Right. And then at the but, end, she kind of, like I said, she became disillusioned with the whole thing because she felt that a majority of the people who were reporting alien abductions were report, were reporting what she pinned as, or she coined kind of the term, she used the term psychological abductions, that she felt that a lot of these people were mentally ill and that they were experiencing these things and they were trying to explain them in terms of alien abductions. And that was when, and then she retired from the That's UFO rich thing. coming from her. That's yeah. hilarious. From, well, and then that, and that's, and then she said that, and then she was like, I'm out. And she felt like there's too many people yeah. doing that. And, or that's what she, that's how she felt. The market's getting flooded. The market's flooded. How old was she when that happened at the end? That was in, I think, She's probably did, uh, years she, and years. She gave up in like 1991. Yeah, 1991. So she would have been like she, 70 right. or something. That's what I mean, though. Like at that, point, at that point, at that point, you've been on the trail so hard. Say you did experience it. You thought for sure it was it. You never could find anyone who, to corroborate what you experienced. So you you turn to like, well, everyone else is just quacks. And I, I know what I'm talking about here. And like, that's <laughs> what happened to her. She, like, she did it for 30 years, let's say. And it, It'd be an impossible thing to prove if it happened to you. Like it, w- it really would. Like there's no, but Definitely. like if it, if you, if you can't say I got abducted, you're like, well, that guy's been talking about fucking aliens for the last ten years. There's no chance he got abducted. He's looking for fame, and I'd be like, no, man, I fucking seen it. And then for the rest of my life, I'm like, telling, talking to people and trying to explain my story and trying to find similar stories, and I never found. It. I'm like, well, all these fucking guys, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's so many similar stories though. Like that's the thing. Like this, this hits all the fucking major UFO abduction case fucking themes, right? Well, this is the to the extreme of it, I guess. Yeah, but there's just some of these things like. There's really questions that leave you wondering where the fact that th- when she had interactions with this leader, this leader laughed at a lot <laughs> yeah. of her stuff. Chuckle. Like he, she remarked about how many times like she would ask him questions and he would just laugh 
And then I'd be like, wait, so these these creatures have no concept of time. They have no concept of colors, but they have somehow a concept of like humor. Comedy. Like you're asking them <laughs> questions, which yeah. they feel like this is funny. I should laugh at that. Like what? <laughs> okay, mm. sure. I mean, eh. yeah. I mean, it's maybe a, maybe humor's universal. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a if you have if you've never heard about it, it's obviously a case that stood the test of time for a reason. So just go look I mean, it up. Maybe it's few. Maybe it's future future humans, and they just lost their rods and cones. Yeah, they there's just a, see flat. Really they didn't lose books. their sense of humor though. No. Yeah. Never lose your sense of humor. There's two really good books. Like I mentioned before, there's The Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller, which is the full transcripts word for word from most of their sessions. And then you also have Captured, the the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience, which is by Stanton Freeman, uh, you know, RIP, and uh, K. Martin, other guy. But the, both of them have very different approaches to the case itself. So they offer really two different viewpoints, which are super neat. So if you want to check those out, I would say if you want to read about this case, like check out those two books. Do it. All right, I'm going to load up the randomatron here. Uh, let's keep Hard it going. Up. Here we go. Very sophisticated. Mongoose file, baby. On my face. <laughs> that right? No. 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 That's what it says. Shit on my sleeve. Shit. Oh, shit on, on my, my sleeve. sleeve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. No face sitting. No face sitting. That's no. Not people that ride in ambulance tend to not be that. Not yet. Quality. Not yet, at least. No. Not that you would know. <laughs> not that you <laughs> would know. I've watched that show. There's a few, real, you know, the fucking uh, ambulance shows on TV. So obviously, the beginning of these things, like we all know, story happens to a friend of a friend of a friend of mine. Not me. Nope. I don't even really know the guy that well. So this particular event takes place in a somewhat mountainous area, kind of just somewhere where you'd have to go out of your way. Um, we get dispatched for a animal bite query, possible bear. Damn. So traveling to this area, CAD keeps updating, you know, patient is stable, bite not too, too bad, bleeding's been stopped with direct pressure. So we're going routine, not a big deal. And we're going down, you know, road, like road passes that you don't, you shouldn't even be able to get to. And at some point we had to park the ambulance and radio in for an off-road vehicle to come pick us up. Like we're talking boonies, boonies. So as we're getting up there, one of the police officers on scene starts kind of just breaking it down. He's like, yeah, you know, um, hikers up there, kind of out there foraging. Foraging? Potentially foraging, okay. looking for mushrooms and berries and that type of stuff maybe gone a little further than they should and it, immediately in your head you're like you they know, didn't suck run back any hemlock did they <laughs> well no hopefully not that would have been a different that would have been a different uh, story but 
so initially you think like you see those stories of the hikers that go hiking in fucking shorts and a hoodie in the middle of the winter like people who are unprepared right and you get up there and the guy's sitting on the back of a of an, a police SUV and you know as you approach cop comes up and he's like that's a really weird looking bear bite like I don't really understand what's going on like it's not even really that deep so walk up to the patient and right away you can get the feeling like this is you know this guy looks like a fucking bushman like this guy knows what he's doing he's got his cool little leather satchel <laughs> he's got a beard walking stick like this is this guy's a vet right so I'm like hey man I'm like so what happened he's like he's like don't fucking listen to these guys he's like I didn't get bitten by a bear I know what bears look like that was not a bear what and I'm like I'm like okay I you know I you know and the conservation officers up there too he's like a lot of people say that a lot like you know so I'm like okay let's unbandage his arm and have a look and you start unbandaging the arm and 100% right like this is not a bear random, bite this super random looks eerily familiar to a human bite oh fuck Sasquatch bite guys Sask. can come wear Sasquatch on that full moon well he would have Sasquatch would have took his arm off right possibly but so so we start talking we're like so what the fuck happened and he's like I was foraging for berries I saw a fucking pile of hair on the ground it looked like they were wearing clothes so I went to check and make sure the person was okay because I thought it was a person so I ran over and kind of just hey 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 and they didn't hear me so I kind of prodded them with my stick because you know some people he's like before when I was foraging you'd run into people who've come into the woods to use drugs whatever so he went up for and he said this person jumped up ravenous started swiping at him and he kind of tried to push her away and he described it as a woman and as he pushed it away this woman grabbed his forearm and took Chomped a bite him. and he pulled his arm away and this woman took off into the woods so after conferring with the RCMP being like this is not like this that that was that's not an animal or unlike any animal I've ever seen maybe a windigo who knows mm -hmm. the RCMP start searching around the fucking bushes looking for a person and within fucking 15 20 minutes we're getting ready to load the patient up and take him down the hill you hear all this screaming and yelling and you're like what the fuck is that radio goes off and they're like we have somebody in the bushes like we need we need ems right now like get here get here and we hop on one of the atvs and go bombing to the bush and when we get there there is this fucking woman with like Shambhala times 10 fucking like dreadlocked <laughs> hair out to here clothes and shreds swiping and hissing and growling and not letting anyone close to her to the point where to take this woman down they're considering tasing her and then at at you know finally we have enough people there and we're like I guess we're gonna fucking roll the dice so we had six people that kind of tried to corral her and take her down took her down, handcuffed her, and then all while like nipping and screaming and f hissing <sighs> and just like- Feral. Like, like a hundred percent, like, like hydrophobia. Like, you know, that's the first thing I popped in my head. I'm like, is this person a fucking rabies? Like, what is going on here? Get her in the back of the fucking police car because you can't, we didn't get to, we didn't get to bring our ambulance up there. Start bombing down the hill, transfer into the ambulance and she's going batshit crazy to the point where I'm like, we need ALS here. We need to, we need to sedate the patient. Like this is not safe for her or anybody else. What's, AL, what's ALS? She's thrashing around the ambulance. Pardon? ALS? What's that? Sorry, advanced life support. Uh, different unit kind of thing. Yeah. So the, which they can sedate and intubate. And so they come. 
end up having to sedate the patient takes about three times our usual, usual amounts of medaz to sedate this patient without putting them in complete respiratory arrest. So get them into the hospital and for us, like ambulance crews, you check them in and you're that's it for you. You get in the back of your ambulance and you're doing the next one. So super bizarre, right? Come back to check in and they're like, you know, it's got the whole hospitals intrigued. Nobody really understands what's going on. Uh, the staff that started working on her initially all had to book off because they all got ticks. Oh, she's just infested. Covered in fucking ticks. Okay. They had to sedate her to take blood. They had to keep her sedated to do a CT scan. Everything unremarkable. Nothing. Nothing. No brain bleeds. No, like her blood markers, everything absolutely fucking normal. She's been in the psych ward ever since. Hasn't said a fucking word. Still completely rabbit. They don't have a name. They don't have anything on this person. Like, completely feral. Bushman. Bushman. A fucking bushwoman. Like a legitimate wild bushwoman. And this is not in a community you would normally think this would happen in. I'm going to put this for you guys so you can kind of understand. I'm going to put it in a landmark so you can kind of have an idea what it's very similar to. Think the fucking top of Shoot Lake. Like as far as you can go. And just up not far out of Kelowna. Somewhere like that. Yeah, exactly. And like feral like bushwoman. To the, to the point where you have an entire like emerge department being like, what the fuck? Nobody understands. <sighs> like like fingerprints, everything. Nobody fucking knows. They don't have a name. They don't have anything. That's fucked. It's fucking bizarre. And like you could she's in a locked psych ward and it's terrifying. But like, all scans are showing normal. She's just completely feral. Absolutely unremarkable. Nothing is popping off that has any, but obviously there's a little bit of like malnutrition and dehydration, but that's it. Not to the point where you're going to be having, you're going to be symptomatic right. and going fucking crazy. So, dude, and this is coming off the heels of someone sending us that conspiracy about, hey, what if the missing people in these parks are feral cannibals? Um, damn. So, interesting. Bizarre. Fucking crazy one. Ooh. Yeah, that's fucked up. Like <laughs> just completely feral lady <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. Uh all right. We did uh theory of the week already, Jason Milbank. Oh um, yeah. Oh, are we doing we're doing two though? Oh, I think we had an honorable mention. We, well, honorable mention, which is still fucking awesome. Oh yes. Yeah, we got Philly. Art by Philly. Art by Philly. King I, of the I, chill. You know what? I have it up. King I have of it chill. on my screen. If you if you zoom zoom in on me. Yeah, gotcha. King of the chill. <laughs> oh, dude, so, so funny. Oh man, King of the chill. Conspiracy and conspiracy accessories. I don't know why you put Braden so much taller than the rest of us, but other than that, yeah, it's I, fucking phenomenal. Goal. Yeah. You and got you and Brayden are the same height. Just about, yeah. I think Brayden might be slightly taller by like maybe a, think, half, a half inch, maybe at the most, but yeah, pretty much. I'm not this hulking behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my arms are bigger than that. I like that nice polo. I would like a nice polo with our I mean, logo on it. Bra like, Brayden's a lot bigger than me. Brayden's a heavyweight. I'd be a welterweight. Yeah. I'd be a 170 pounder. Brayden yeah. uh, could never drop that much, I don't think. But no. Other than that, that Eastern European frame. Yeah, heavy, heavy set. <laughs> Sausage king. sausage king, yeah. <laughs> My body wants to be bald, fat, and wear gold chains <laughs> with yeah. hairy knuckles. That's what my body wants. 
Um, um, all right. Uh, Patreon supporters. Patreon supporters. Uh, can, we, can we play the soft rock version before we sign out too? You want me to play? You want we me to play? So- We're going how about this? That. How about I'll play soft rock over Patreon supporters this week instead okay, of Zeltron? Good. All right. Let's, let me get. Let me get a little uh, soft att here. This is uh, Jason Milbank uh, made this for me because he knows I like to be rocked softly. So, all right. This week's Patreon supporters. If you're not already and you want to support your boys, support your favorite show, get all the bonus content, live streams, all the other goodies, head over to patreon.com slash alien theorist podcast. We got Jim Leahy. Oh, no. Lim Jahey is a fucking drunk and he always will be. R.I.P. Jim Leahy. He will be forever. Jim Bowman. Mark Dixon. Martin Stolp. Big Meg. Kenneth Perry. Oh, it's a short one. We got, now we're going to have to go with Zeltron right away. <laughs> that's a fucking dope soft rock sound. Soft, soft rock solid. ATT. I think that's the... that's the. Well, that's not what I wanted to play. <laughs> that's the new, um, good, that's yeah. a new confidential yeah. theme for too. sure. Though. Yeah, what the fuck is going on here? Oh, it's because I'm playing out of iTunes. That's why. All right, figure that out. Where did I, where did I leave off? Big Meg, Kenneth Perry. Yeah. L Nasty Shag Fasty. It's good. It's <laughs> good. Good shit. Mango Goblin Yayo went up. Just cocaine itself is just sponsoring the podcast, I believe. Awesome. <laughs> Let's build it up till one day when we have uh, we, we've had enough of booze and we want to switch over to the hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we, come that famous, we hit that VH1 behind <laughs> the music. Uh, Beaky. <laughs> Alan N. Oh, not loading. Devin Cartelli, Noel, Mark Dixon, Jacob Benson, Tommy, Anastasia went up to a $5 pledge. Jason Milbake, not only did he write us two killer theme songs, he also pledged for one year. Cheers, brother. Theory of the week. That's a beauty. Jenna, Mrs. Jones, Kyle, and Joe Klein. One year pledge. Thank you very much for supporting the show. And as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. See you in after hours. I know we talked about Betty and Barney Hill, like, I think one time when, like, last there. last minute, like, Brain's like, ah, oh, I, I got to work out of town. There's no way I can record. We're like, okay, well, fuck, what are we going to do? Like, we brought Byron on. I think we had, like, I think we had, I think it was me, Byron, Andrew, and Dan. Maybe, maybe Andrew wasn't there either, but we're just like, last minute, like, okay, let's just talk about some abduction cases. And we gave, like, a such a hack job of of the Betty and Barney Hill one. Like we had, we had to redo it. Yeah. It was bad. Well, if you it's, li- it's, it, I mean, it's one of those ones where it's like, it, we needed to do justice. Yeah. So when we did it before, like we're, I know I was personally max level stoned and I forgot everything we were talking about back on the last one.
Dandy. You're talking about Betty and the first time we did it? Yeah, the first time we did Betty and Barney, like, because Braden's like last minute, he's like, oh, I can't make it tonight. We're like, oh, what should we do? I was like, I don't know. Like, just pick some abduction cases, I guess, and just go through them real quick. 